Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 46 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This time we have an episode of a short-lived crime series featuring a major motion picture actor. It's Christopher London starring Glenn Ford. This was a series of half-hour crime dramas broadcast on NBC during 1950. It chronicled the adventures of San Francisco-based private detective Christopher London. The network was seeking to fill the Sunday at 7 slot opposite Jack Benny, which was then on CBS. NBC was still reeling from the talent raids its chief rival had inflicted during the previous year. These included Burns and Allen, along with Amos and Andy and Jack Benny. Upon moving to its new home on CBS, the Benny Show retained the profitable Sunday evening niche it had occupied for many years on NBC. NBC attempted several shows to compete with its former prize program, including the star-studded quiz show Hollywood Calling. The ratings were not good, and after six months, the show was canceled. Executives at NBC were aware that The Falcon, a detective show on the Mutual Network, had scored a respectable rating against the Benny clan. So they proposed a mystery series of their own. They signed one of the best producer-directors in the business, William N. Robeson. Known primarily for his work at CBS, by 1950, Robeson had amassed a distinguished career in radio. Robeson started in the early 1930s at KHJ, when the Don Lee-owned station in Los Angeles was affiliated with CBS. At KHJ, he was at the helm of such shows as Conquerors of the Sky and Snug Harbor. Robeson was also instrumental in establishing Calling All Cars as an early police procedural. He later moved to New York and directed the Columbia Workshop, the man behind the gun, and then after the war, Escape and Doorway to Life, among many others. To develop the Christopher London project, Robeson teamed with mystery writer Earl Stanley Gardner, who was touted as the world's most read mystery author. We all know Gardner is the creator of everyone's favorite defense attorney, Perry Mason. Who made his debut in the 1933 novel, The Case of the Velvet Claws. Gardner also wrote hundreds of short stories which were published in pulp magazines from Black Mask to Top Notch Magazine. Gardner had created some 50 different characters for these stories, and came up with another, Christopher London, specifically for the proposed radio series. In seeking a prominent Hollywood film star for the lead role, Robeson chose actor Glenn Ford. Though this was Ford's first leading role in a radio series, he was no stranger to the medium. He appeared in Lux Radio Theater, The Doctor Fights, Suspense, and many others. While serving in the Marines during World War II, Ford joined Tyrone Power, participating in the series Halls of Montezuma, 
which originated at the San Diego Marine Corps base and carried coast-to-coast by the Mutual Network. It was in films, however, that Ford was a major player. Early on, he was cast in Columbia B-movies such as My Son is Guilty and Blondie Plays Cupid. However, his post-war portrayal of Johnny Farrell opposite Rita Hayworth in the film noir classic Gilda earned him an A status. He would then star opposite Betty Davis in A Stolen Life and reunite with Hayworth in The Loves of Carmen. He was also in several westerns, including The Man from Colorado and Lust for Gold. Though Earl Stanley Gardner created the characters for the Christopher London series, various radio scribes, including Mindrit Lord and Bernard Schoenfeld, were enlisted to craft the scripts. The series debuted on NBC January 22, 1950. Only a couple episodes of this series have been unearthed, and we have one of them. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy the private detective series Christopher London, starring Glenn Ford in The Price of Sugar, as originally broadcast from the NBC Hollywood Studios, February 26, 1950. With a knife in his back, a nameless Filipino in San Francisco. With a bullet in her body, a girl in mid-Pacific. But there were others. There were so many others. 8,000 of them on an island in the Philippines. The National Broadcasting Company presents Christopher London. Created especially for radio by the world's foremost mystery writer, Earl Stanley Gardner. Produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And starring, Mr. Glenn Ford. I am Christopher London. The whole thing started with a vague conversation about the murder of an unknown Filipino. Mr. Anders, president of the San Francisco Sugar Company, either could not or would not say what, if anything, he suspected. I'm sorry, Mr. London. I can't tell you what I think because I don't know what I think. Well, I get the impression that it's not the murder that worries you. Why should it? I never saw the man. I have no idea who he was or why he tried to get to me. With a knife in his back, the doctors wonder how he ever made it to my door. A knife in his back with your name and address in his pocket and his body terribly scarred as if he'd been beaten for years. Yes, it's all very mysterious. Yeah. But the police are investigating. I suppose they'll learn the truth in time. That's not what I wanted to see you about. Well, what else, then? The price of sugar. The price of sugar? Exactly. Now, this is all I can tell you. We've... Uncle Ted, I wonder Oh, if come I... in, dear. Oh. Yeah, this is Christopher London, my niece, Linda. Oh, I've heard about you, Mr. London. Oh, now, whatever you've heard, I deny every word of it. <laughs> <laughs> is Mr. London sailing with me, Uncle Ted? Uh, maybe on the same ship would be a better way to put it. Yes, my dear, I want him to go to Manila. Oh, then you'd better go, Mr. London. Whether you want to or not, you're as good as aboard ship already. Well, I'd better get ashore, Mr. London. Well, there's still a few minutes. Yeah, I suppose. How do you like the stateroom? Oh, it's very elegant. Good. Now, uh, is there anything else you want to know? You want me to find out how a company named Southern Cross is able to go on underselling your product. And that's all? That's all. Frankly, Mr. Frankly, Mr. Anders, I don't get the reason for all this this outlay of money here, this stateroom. Don't you? Maybe it's because if you don't come back, I'd like to think you died at luxury. All ashore, let's go in ashore. Well, London, bon voyage. Linda will be waiting for me at the gangway. Keep an eye on her, will you? And uh, look out for yourself, too. 
The ship was beautiful, the night was dark, and the sea was calm. Hawaii was a long way beyond the horizon, and Manila and the Philippines still farther. The girl beside me at the rail was very, very lovely. She sighed rather happily and said... My uncle said you'd probably ask me a lot of questions. Did he, Miss Anders? Won't Linda do? Uh, Linda? Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've got that settled, let's uh, get back to the questions your uncle said I would ask. Did he say what they'd be? Mm, Not exactly. Uh Well, did he say what your answers would be? Uh, Not Not exactly. exactly, yes. (laughs) Shall we walk around the deck? We walked once around the deck, and then we went into the cocktail lounge and had a coffee and brandy at a little table in a quiet corner. You know, Christopher, I think this is going to be a good voyage. I hope it is. Have you ever been out to Manila before? Oh, lots of times. I've gone with my uncle every time he went, ever since I can remember. I... Oh, my parents died when I was a baby, if that explains anything. It does, a little. I suppose you know a lot about your uncle's business, then. That's one of the questions he said you'd ask me. And the answer? (laughs) The answer is yes. I think I know as much about his business as he does. You're a very interesting girl, Linda. You know, that's what I always say. I always say, Linda, you're a very interesting girl. Oh, don't look now, but there's a man coming. You don't know me and I don't know you, but that ain't no reason why we can't yell at each other over the fence now, is it? I'm Jim Blake from Texas, a lone star state. And where I go, I buy the drinks. A waiter. Coming, sir? Uh, won't you sit down, Mr. Blake? I am sitting, thank you, ma'am. My name's Blake. Yes, that's what I thought you said. One of the New Jersey Blakes, no doubt. Well, now, you know that is real funny. Oh? Oh, I'm sorry. People's always joking me about Texas. What'd you say your name was? I didn't say. However, it's London. Christopher London. Well, I'm mighty glad to know you, Chris. What'll you and Mrs. London have? Fifteen or twenty years later, Linda and I pride ourselves out of the heart of Texas. She said she was tired, so I took her to her stateroom door. Good night, Linda. Sleep well. Oh, uh... Come in for a minute. What? All right. Just for a minute. There's something I want to give you. Sit down while I find it. Maria, not finished yet? No, ma'am, but pretty... Linda's personal maid, a pretty girl from the islands, was still unpacking trunks. In a moment, Linda returned with a small, decorated jewel case in her hands. Oh, here it is. Christopher, keep it for me, will you? Oh, now, look, if this is jewelry, you'd better give it to the purser. Oh, oh, no, no, it's not jewelry. Well, then do you mind if I ask just what it... Well, it's... Nothing. It's just that I'd rather you kept it. All right. Good night, Linda. Until tomorrow, Christopher. I took the jewel case back to my stateroom and found that somebody had shoved a note under my door. It read, Take off that beard, we know you. The writer had a sense of humor. But in my experience, the most dangerous enemies are those that laugh. I took a closer look at the little jewel case. It had one of those intricate Chinese locks that are easy to break, but not easy to open without the proper key. I put the box in a pillowcase and carried it to the office of the ship's doctor. Now, what can I do for you, Mr. London? Uh, Your laboratory is equipped with x-ray, I suppose, doctor? Yes, of course. Uh, Well, I I know this sounds a little strange, but I I wonder if you'd take a picture of this, this box here, just as it is. It was exactly what I expected. I carried the box back to my stateroom, shoved it under the bunk, and went to bed. I don't know how long I'd been asleep when suddenly there was a knock on the door. I was out of bed like a shot. Just a second. 
Yes? Miss Anders, ask if you will come at once. What? Oh, yes, yes, all right. I'll be there in a minute. I put on a pair of pants and shirt, hurried into the corridor and collided with... Look, look where you're going, can't you? Oh, well, howdy, London. Yeah, sorry, in a hurry. Come in, Christopher. What's the matter? Well, nothing's the matter. I just couldn't sleep, and I was lonely. Oh, no. Oh, look. Look, do you realize it's 2 a.m.? Well, of course, if you'd rather go back to bed. All right, all right. What do you want to do? Would you like to play some gin rummy? No, I wouldn't like to play some gin rummy. No. Well, men love to talk about themselves. Let's talk about you. Okay, get the cards. We played a few hands in silence, and then Linda asked... Christopher. What? What did you think of Mr. Blake, the Lone Star Stranger? Have you ever been in Texas? No, why? Oh. Well, I wonder if he has. You mean you think... Oh, forget it. Yeah, I've got gin. Oh. And now, if you think that I've been away from my cabin long enough, I'm going back. Away from your cabin long enough? I don't understand. Well, I just wondered if that precious jewel box of yours would still be there. Christopher, you don't think somebody's taken it? Would it make any difference? You opened it. But you had to break the lock off, didn't you? Well, what are you talking about? Because the lock was filled with solder. It couldn't be opened. Well, I didn't open the case, Linda. Then why are you so casual about it? Because it was filled to the top with just what you said was in it. Nothing. But, uh... No, I'll save you the trouble of asking. I had the thing x-rayed. Oh. Yes, you can say that again. <laughs> oh, forgive me, Christopher. It was just a sort of a trial. My uncle and I wanted to be sure you were clever enough for this job. And you are clever, Christopher. Really clever. You're the only man I ever met who's smarter than I. Christopher? Hmm? Would you consider kissing me goodnight? Yeah. I'll consider it. When I finally got back to my stateroom, the jewel case was no longer under the bed where I'd put it. But I think that as I went to sleep again, I may have had a smile on my face. The days that followed were filled with shuffleboard and the nights were filled with dancing. Jim Blake, the Texas steer, was usually close by, but in time, well, in time he got used to him, as you would a bad head cold. Every night when I turned in, I could expect to find another humorous little message tucked under my door, such as, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and you'll be a long time dead. Meanwhile, in odd moments with Linda, I managed to get a little more information about sugar growing and refining. One moonlit night when we were together on the boat deck. Mm, isn't it magic, darling? Isn't it simply magic? Christopher, I'm talking to you. What? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. What are you thinking about? Oh, sugar, I guess. Oh. Now, you say this Southern Cross Company is selling sugar at a price that is actually below your cost. That's right. Well, are your costs higher than they should be? They're as low as any in the industry, and I don't want to talk about it now, darling. Oh, perhaps they may have developed some new and better method of refining Possibly. sugar. Possibly. That's what you're supposed to find out. Christopher. Hmm? I'm cold. A few days after leaving Honolulu on the way to Manila, we entered a bank of thick fog, like a damp, clinging shroud. And it was in the fog that tragedy struck. 
Suddenly and without warning. I was standing at the rail near the stern, looking out at nothing, listening to the foghorn and the beat of the ship's engines, when... Well, I couldn't see a thing. I ran in the direction of the sound. Groping through the fog, I found... I found a white coat flapping emptily, caught in a boat davit. It was Linda's coat. You're listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co Host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, back to Radio Rarities. You are listening to Christopher London, starring Glenn Ford. It was an apparently harmless mission that Anders had asked me to undertake, simply to find out how it was possible for a rival sugar refining company to undersell his product. Mr. Anders had warned me that the job might be dangerous, and so it was. I stood on deck in the swirling fog, holding Linda's coat in my hands and feeling sick at heart. The liner's searchlights were vainly glaring through the mist. But it was useless, and everybody knew it. I started for the radio room to send a message to Anders when a vague figure moved behind me. Christopher, who was it? Linda. What's the matter? And, and what are you doing with my coat? Oh, Linda. I told Maria to wear it when I sent her to look for you, and then I... Christopher, was it Maria? I'm afraid so. Oh, poor Maria. An hour or so later, I found Texas Jim Blake in the bar. Well, howdy, London. 
double scotch and soda for my friend here. Very good, sir. Well, that was right nasty business about Miss Anders' maid, wasn't it? I understand you think you heard a shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard a shot. Mm-hmm. Real honorable. Who do you think would have wanted to kill that poor girl? If I was in charge of this boat, I'd look for a gun that had been fired lately. Well, I doubt if you'd find it at the bottom of the ocean. You think you'd throw it overboard? Wouldn't you? Well, now, I suppose I would. That reminds me of a story I heard about a cowpoke back in Texas. Seems he Mr. Was about... Blake, do you ever get tired of that accent? How's that? What? I just talk the way folks talk in Texas. This ain't no accent, son. That's Texas talk. Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, by the way, were you in Dallas or Galveston when Maria was shot and pitched over the side? London, let me ask you a simple question. Why do you care where I was at when that shot was fired? You think I killed her? Did you? In Texas? Yes, we... yes, I know. In Texas, they shoot men for less than that. <laughs> You're joking me again, London. Hey, you know, London, I've been thinking. Now, naturally, I know Miss Lynn and her uncle is interested in the sugar business in the Philippines, and just as it happens, I got an interest in sugar myself. Stock in a company named the Southern Cross. You ever hear of it? Southern Cross Sugar? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've heard of it. They got a plantation of something like 50 square miles on the island of Negros, haven't they? Yeah, 50 square miles of sugar cane. That's what they tell us poor stockholders. But I'm from Texas, and I don't believe nothing that I don't see. Folks that run this shindig say we can sell more sugar and cheaper than any other company in the world. Well, I got money in this proposition, Chris. Good Texas money, and I'm going to see for myself. Uh, you and Miss Linda wouldn't want to come along, would you? Sort of look over the plantation with me? Why, Mr. Blake, I just bet Miss Linda and I would be charmed to look over the Southern Cross plantation with you. Oh, you're always joking me, London, but I mean that invitation. Seriously. And I mean it. Seriously. Well, then, that is just wonderful. Tomorrow we'll be in Manila. I got me a boat waiting for me, and they tell me the trip to Negros just ain't nothing. Have another drink. A little later, I went down to Linda's stateroom to escort her to dinner. All right, Christopher. I'm ready. Linda, I've been talking to Jim Blake. Oh, the Texas steer. He's not funny. I think he's a killer. What? Yes, I think he tried to kill you and got Maria instead. Now he wants you and me to visit the Southern Cross Plantation. Says he has Texas money in it. But why, Christopher? I don't understand. Why would he... It's either a trap or a showcase. I I don't know. I don't know. Well, I still don't understand. Neither do I. Whatever it is, though, you're going to stay in Manila while I take a look at it. There's no point in us both taking a chance. I left Linda in Manila at the local office of her uncle's company. Blake and I went on together to the island of Negros and the huge Southern Cross plantation. It rained constantly and the growl of distant thunder was almost continuous. The director of the plantation was a suave, expressionless fellow named Juan Ibarra, who used words as if he were translating from another language. Coming from the south is bad weather, senores. Very bad storm. Well, if you haven't been in a Texas storm, you don't know what a storm is really like. What time is it, Chris? It's about four well, now, let me see. We've done pretty well for one day's inspection. We've gone through the refinery from top to bottom, saw the loading dock, drove through one of the fields of sugar cane. Well, what do you say we go back to the house and have us a drink? Yes, I could use one, Blake. While we drove back to the director's house, I asked a few innocent questions. 
Uh, Ibarra? Si, senor. Uh, tell me, how many men does it take to do the work on a place this size? It takes seven, eight thousand, maybe. Seven, eight thousand? Oh, that's a lot of men. Where do you keep them? Where do I keep them? Yes, I, I mean, where do they live? See, si, on the plantation. Here they live. Yes, I know that. Uh, hey, Chris, I've been thinking about that refinery. Are you much of an engineer? Enough to understand the simple process of refining sugar. It seemed like a good plant. As you say, Senor London, the plant is good, but it is just the same like many others. No difference. Yes, yes, I suppose so. I was asking about the workers on the place. Hey, what's that? No, wait a minute. Stop the car. Look, I said stop the car. No, Senor London. It is not to be wise to interfere. Well, they're whipping that poor devil to death. Maybe he deserves it, huh, Barra? Well, nobody could deserve punishment like that. It is the only thing the bad ones understand, Senor London. the subject was dropped, just like that. A few moments later, Ibarra let Blake and me out in front of the plantation house and drove the jeep away to the garage. For a moment, we stood together in the rain. He seemed a little subdued. Yeah, too bad about what we've seen back there. I guess they ain't real human, though. They're more like animals. Well, would you beat a horse or a dog to death? As a stockholder in this here plantation, I'm going to talk to Ibarra about that. You coming in? Uh, no, no. Go on ahead. I'll be right with you. Okay, I sure am soaking. Rain ain't nothing like Texas rain. There was something ominous about the place. Not just the steady rain or the thunder grumbling in the distance. Not just the cruelty I had glimpsed in the sodden jungle. No, it was something more. It was something worse than I was willing to let myself believe. As I entered the house, I saw that the living room was dark and apparently deserted. But there was a log blazing in the fireplace, so feeling damp and cold, I went and held my hands to its warmth. Senor London? What? Oh. Well, hello. I am Dolores, Senor London. Hello, Dolores. I was told you like scotch and soda. I, yes, 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 I, I have do. a drink all ready for you. Here, by the fire. A drink for me, too. Well, you or, or somebody seems to think of everything. No, thanks. Uh, you're Mrs. Ibarra, I suppose? No, senor. I am just Dolores. Oh. Is your drink as you would have it? Yes, it's just right, Dolores. Senor. Yes, Dolores. Just right. you to be the same like other friends of the peaky bar but you are different so very different save it i suppose you were told to get me to talk another time it might be kind of pleasant to play that game but not tonight i'm tired Senor. there's something i want to ask you even though i don't expect an answer if I asked you to come away with me, away from this plantation, right now, tonight, would they let us go? I... I do not know. That's the answer I expected. Well, I'm going to change it to some dry clothes. How long she'd been standing there in the doorway, I don't know. 
I hadn't heard a sound, but as I turned away from Dolores and started to my room... Hello, Christopher. Linda, I told you not to come. Aren't you glad to see me? Now, Linda, I wasn't hired to be your companion or your bodyguard. Now, I was hired to make one single investigation. Yes, how's the investigation going, Christopher? Well, your uncle wants to know how Southern Cross is able to undersell him. I think I'm beginning to understand. Christopher, Hmm? I got a wire in Manila from my uncle. He's making some kind of a deal. He wants you to drop the whole thing. And that was that. I was just to drop the whole thing. But the whole thing was something I couldn't drop. Too much blood had been shed. Late that night, when the others were asleep, I stole out of the house. The center of the storm had veered around to the east and seemed somewhat nearer. By the flashes of lightning, I found the road I was looking for, the road Ibarra had avoided during our tour of inspection. The path wound through the jungle for perhaps a quarter of a mile and then came to what was unmistakably a concentration camp. The miserable collection of shelters was completely surrounded by a high stockade of steel and barbed wire. The single gate was guarded by a sentry with a Tommy gun. One look was enough. Now I knew the secret of the Southern Cross's success. Forced labor. Slavery. I returned to the house and cautiously opened the door. Well, howdy, Chris. Been out walking, have you? Take his gun, Bar. It will be better you do not move, Senor Lando. Gracias. Christopher, I told you to drop the whole thing. Now see what you've done. You've ruined everything. It's uh, late, but I guess we don't feel much like sleeping now, do we? So let's just sit down in front of the fire and swap yarn. Well, isn't one of the mob missing? Where's Dolores? We don't need her for this little party. Come here, baby. Come here and sit down beside me. All right, Jim. Now? Now, if we're all together, I'll call the meeting to order. What happened to that Texas draw, partner? <laughs> I guess I'm just a big ham at heart, but it, it serves a purpose. With that twang, you can talk to anybody and get away with practically anything. Christopher saw through it, though. The night we sailed. Yeah, London's smart. He's a lot too smart for his own good. I kept telling him that on those notes I left for him under his cabin door. Look, will I be interrupting if I ask a few questions? Oh, no. No, no, go ahead. Uh, well, first about me. I assume you have some kind of plan in mind? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, well, that's what I figured. If only you'd listen to me, Christopher, before it was too late. This talk of answers nothing. Why can't we not dispose of Senor London without delay further? Take it easy. There's no hurry. Yeah. Anything else you want to know, London? I think I already know most of it. I suppose the Filipino who was killed in San Francisco came from here. Yes, that's right. Managed to sneak off the place somehow. I see. Naturally, I had to kill him. That was close. <laughs> Scared, baby. I hate these storms. Well, I didn't know you scared so easily, Linda. Oh, by the way, was it you who killed your maid, Maria? Well, I had to, Christopher. She caught Jim and me together and guessed how it was. She said she was going to tell you, so... So I had to. You know, Linda, for a nice girl, you're something out of a nightmare. Christopher, you shouldn't talk to me like that. After all, it, it wasn't as if... I... I think that hit the house. Listen. It is Dolores. I will go. There was a split second of confusion, but a split second can be the difference between life and death. I threw myself at Blake, slamming my shoulder into his chest, and we crashed to the floor. I got out of there with a broken left arm and a revolver. 
I don't know whether it was Blake's or Ibarra's. I don't know how much damage I did, but at least there was nobody following me as I retraced the road to the slave's stockade. The sentry was standing at the gate holding a tommy gun cradled in his arm. I got as close to him as I could, sheltered by the trunk of a huge mahogany tree, less than 15 feet from the gate. And then he heard me. Halt! Who goes there? Now listen to me very carefully. I'm giving you a chance to save your life. Drop your gun and open that gate. Who are you? A friend. Open the gate and let those men out. And I'll give you one more chance. I don't want to hurt you. Let those men out. Well, if that's the way it's got to be... dead too? Yes, Mr. Anders. With the others. When the men streamed out of the stockade, there, well, there was no stopping them. But she died instantly with a bullet through her heart. What she did sounds as impossible as all the rest of it. Then actual slavery sounds impossible too. Have you any idea how much actual slavery still exists in the world today? It's not a comforting thought but one we can't afford not to think about. Freedom is still something to fight for. That was Christopher London, starring Glenn Ford. And created especially for radio by the world's most widely read mystery writer, Earl Stanley Gardner. Christopher London is produced and directed by William N. Robeson and was tonight written by Mindred Lord. Musical score was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. Mr. Ford's supporting company included Joan Banks, Virginia Gregg, Barton Yarbrough, Ted DeCorsia, Alan Reed, and Ben Wright. Mystery fans, you'll find two other great pulse-packed adventure programs on most of these NBC stations every Monday night. Listen tomorrow night for Night Beat and Dangerous Assignment in one hour of intrigue and adventure on NBC. On Night Beat, you'll meet Randy Stone as portrayed by Frank Lovejoy. You'll travel the night beat of a newspaper with Randy as he searches the big city for a story to make good reading in the morning edition. Then it's time for Brian Donlevy in Dangerous Assignment. Wherever there's trouble brewing throughout the world, there you'll find Soldier of Fortune Donlevy chasing down the forces of evil to their very lairs. These two programs, Night Beat and Dangerous Assignment, add up to one hour of the best in action-packed adventure mystery, and you'll hear them both tomorrow night on NBC. And be with us again next week at this time when Christopher London returns with another exciting excursion against crime. Stay tuned for the Phil Harris's and then Sam Spade on NBC. Okay, Carl, what a startling climax with the revelation of slavery and liberation of the concentration camp. This was a little moralizing by Robeson and his team. But very effective, Carl. Glenn Ford was outstanding in this episode, playing the credible investigator. And kudos to Robeson for acknowledging the full supporting cast. You hear many familiar voices in this episode. Joan Banks was Linda. 
with Virginia Gregg portraying both Maria and Dolores. Barton Yarbrough was Jim Blake from Texas. There was an inside joke there, Carl, as Yarbrough was actually a Texas native. Of course, we know him best as Sergeant Ben Romero, Joe Friday's partner on Dragnet. Also in the cast were Alan Reed as Ted, the owner of the sugar company who hired London to investigate the rival firm. Ted DeCorsia was both the ship's doctor and Juan Ybarro. And Ben Wright played a ship's crew member and a waiter. The series did receive some positive reviews from the critics. John Crosby of the New York Herald Tribune noted, as adventure series go, it's written with more than ordinary literacy. It's very well acted and directed. But Crosby concluded, Lisa, that this was not an answer to Jack Benny. After 14 episodes, on May 8th, the series was moved to Monday nights, where it lingered for a few more weeks. Its final episode was May 29, 1950. The ratings were low, and it never obtained a sponsor, which were some of the reasons NBC pulled the plug on it. Glenn Ford's career on the silver screen was taking off at that point. He opted out of the Christopher London series to star in films for both Paramount and Columbia. In the Paramount picture Beyond the Sunset, he was united with other stars from radio, including Johnny Dollar's Edmund O'Brien and Dick Tracy's Ralph Byrd. It's a shame the Christopher London series did not fare better at NBC. It had the potential to be an interesting addition to the crime genre. For Earl Stanley Gardner, he had a winner with Perry Mason, first on radio and then later on television. And Glenn Ford would go on to star in such films as The Big Heat and The Blackboard Jungle. In the 1970s, Ford starred in a TV Western series, Cades County, and was featured as a preacher in the family Novak. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co-host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Costella is our executive producer, and the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll present an episode of another famous private investigator. It's Sidney Greenstreet, starring as Nero Wolf in the first episode of the NBC series from the fall of 1950. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.